You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up Podcast on the Nana Music Network. state of North Carolina, USA. A big Southern welcome to the Fry It Up podcast with Augustus Cho. FYI, this podcast can be seen on video via patreon.com backslash nanamusic, N-E-N-E-M-U-S-I-K. All right, on today's episode of Fry It Up with Augustus Cho, we'll be different as we will not be discussing music or music groups, celebrities, or athletes. So today's episode is less about entertainment than it is about information. Ergo, we will diverge into an area we have not traversed before. We will be talking today, rather on a heavy topic subject today, of psychotherapy. When you hear that word psychotherapy, it may or may not be what you may be thinking, as my guest has an unusual premise how the psychotherapist sees our present existence on the broad level, which we will discuss. My guest has a master's degree in psychology, is a practicing psychotherapist, and has been in private practice for the past 25 years at minimum. Additionally, my guest is an author of three books, is a poet and even a children's book illustrator. My guest lives in Santa Fe and Taos, New Mexico, which seems uh, apropos to what my guest has to share with us today. And you will understand what I mean by that very soon. With that, the Fry Ada podcast welcomes Phyllis Levitt. Welcome, Phyllis. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me today. It's really a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, pleasure having you. I'm looking forward to the discussion. I think it's going to be very interesting and very informative. Um, there's a number of aspects to your life, but why don't we begin with something that's very easy and then kind of sure. delve into something more serious topics. So we'll just take it step by step. Um, people deal with issues and stresses differently, obviously, and some find their solutions through religion while others do so through therapy. And, and in your case, your elixir was something else. Tell us about that. Well, I think uh, my own journey has been really from very early age of just a lot of, I'm, a, I'm kind of an introvert, I think by nature. And my own journey from an early age was really a kind of introspective. What am I doing here? What's this life about? Why do I feel the way I do? Why do I react the way I do? What's the meaning and purpose of my existence? Those kinds of things that I think I started thinking about probably as a teenager. And um, and I had some trauma early in my life that was probably part of the motivation for that deep kind of introspective perspective on life. And I kind of went in two directions. And one was, uh, I'm, a, I'm kind of a child of the 60s. I was not a hippie, but I was kind of on the fringes of that population. And um, I was really interested in the spiritual aspect of that. And so I joined a spiritual group early on. And and then my 
and I had some amazing experiences even before that of just very, very profound connection to some kind of consciousness that was greater than anything that I ever actually heard about or that anyone I knew talked about um, at that time. And certainly that's not the case today. People are talking about higher consciousness a lot in a way that they weren't when I grew up. Um, and that that quest brought me eventually in touch with a higher consciousness. And um, and then that that brought me to being a psychotherapist and doing therapy and really um, delving into, I guess, I guess I would say like the meaning and what we're doing here from a lot of different, um, I guess, perspectives or a lot of different levels. So, uh, and I'm really interested today in bringing them together because I think they do come together. And I think, um, so anyway, that's that's sort of the short answer to your question that there's, I've had a spiritual journey and a psychological journey and a deep dive into the darkness of the underworld of my own unconscious um, that has really informed me as a psychotherapist and as someone who really seeks to be of service for what I think is massive pain and suffering in this world today, um, along with many of the good things that are going on. Okay, well, you said a whole lot. That we got a lot to unpack. Um, yeah. Let me let me back up a little bit. Uh, you know, some yeah. people some people you know go to a, Tibet to experience certain things and find themselves, and other people uh, find their different religions. In your case, you found uh, the process of writing to be very therapeutic. Yes. So, so tell us about that aspect. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to be a writer. I think some people are kind of born with a sense of where they want to go in life. Not everyone. But even as a little girl, I wanted to be a writer and I don't know why. Um, and I, you know, I loved English classes. I wrote papers and I got great feedback from my teachers. So that was probably part of the encouragement. But I started writing poetry when I was really young and um and then I wrote some children's books when I was in my early 20s. And, and I wrote more for my own children later on. But but those books were really, they really weren't for children. They were for me. They were try, um, another way that I was trying to figure out what I was doing here um, and feeling like there was sort of a dark cloud over my life. And that, that came from early childhood trauma. Um, and then I just, you know, became a journal writer. And I always, but let me back up and just say that from the very first poem that I wrote, and I think I was 13 when I wrote that poem, I felt a connection to something bigger than myself when I wrote that poem. And for whatever reason, my life has evolved this way. I connect through writing. I do, you connect. Remember, do you remember that poem? When you, wrote you know what? I don't have it anymore. Um, but I think the poems, it, it, it didn't really, really even make any sense to me at the time. I only remember uh, two lines of the poem and the, and the lines that I remember were, well, we called jeans in those days, dungarees. So <laughs> I was, I guess I was wearing dungarees. And I said, I said, dungarees on grass stained knees. I fell to my knees by the water. I never did that. It was something of profound reverence that that came out in those words. 
Um, and that's what I experienced, profound reverence to something much larger than myself. And at that moment, I knew that writing was my path in my life. Um, it was a, it was a, it was a profound moment. And, you know, I wish that for everyone that, that they have a profound moment where it illuminates something that doesn't mean the path was easy because it wasn't. Um, and I don't think most of our paths are particularly easy if we're really up against it, but, but it was the doorway. And then I would try to write poetry to recreate that experience. And most of the time I couldn't recreate that experience, but I kept writing and then I would just sort of pick fragments of my experience and and write them. And just writing became a love for me and a joy. Um, and, and as I said, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I actually didn't know what I wanted to write. I had no idea. Um, so I kept many, many journals along the way. Um, I got married and I had three children. I kept a lot of journals. And... And when I was at a very, very difficult place in my own journey and in my marriage, my first marriage, um, I was keeping a journal all the time. And I had, I definitely had a profound revelation when I was writing at, at one very, you know, again, this, this is sort of just my doorway. Um, and um, the revelation was, was something very specific about what had happened to me as a child that I had forgotten. Yeah, we're going to cover and, that in a little while so people yeah. will understand that. Uh, yeah. You also you you also wrote that in, in the process in terms of writing uh, that is so important to you. This is your quote. My God is this empty sheet of paper. Yeah. That's a pretty profound statement. So what were you thinking at the time when you wrote that? Well, you know... I, that was really because I felt like that was how I connected to spirit was in writing. And little did I know that when I wrote that poem, which was quite a long time ago, um, that I would eventually hear spirit speaking to me when I was writing. And that's, that's where my whole writing part of my whole writing journey evolved into. I, um, I had these memories of what had happened to me and that I had buried. And I went to therapy. I did a ton of inner work to try to make my way through that. And, um, and I kept a journal and my, my thought for the journal, my hope for the journal was if I ever make it out of this, if I get through this darkness, I want to have a trail that someone else could follow. And um, and I just thought I would be writing about my, my therapy sessions and my memories. And one day when I was just, well, how, how, how the darkness kind of occurred for me was that I just had massive anxiety and panic attacks and I had bad nightmares and I was really, really struggling, um, to keep, you know, to take care of my kids, do my practice and compartmentalize all that and still, work on myself and get through this. So at one very pivotal moment, I was writing in my journal and I said, God, I don't know what to do. I just have done everything I know how to do and I don't know what else to do. And at that moment, literally, I 
something else just took over and wrote to me. And the first message was, um, we are so glad you're here today. And, and then from there, I just got mega messages about what my soul was doing, um, why I was having the experiences of Phyllis, what all our souls are doing here in human form, what the journey is we're making, um, and just detailed information. And the beginnings of those messages I wrote about in my first two books, which are mm -hmm. called In the Darkness and Into the Fire. Mm -hmm. um, and I have many more, <laughs> many, many oh. more. So that's that's what happened. <laughs> okay, so um, we, it's important for us to speak the same language. So I understand what you mean by certain terminology because the readers will have the same kind of questions and wonderments. Yeah. So let's clarify certain things here. Um, sure. In 1995, you wrote, uh, nothing could have prepared me for the divine voice that spoke to me as I wrote. Um, when you say divine voice, do you literally mean divine a voice that you heard? Is that something that was within yourself? Or unpack that for us. I call it a divine voice because that's the way I experienced it. It literally felt like something that came to me and through me, not from the mind or any conditioning or any you know any that I already had. And it was a visceral experience as well as a literal verbal experience. So I, I keep my journals in my computer. And so I was writing in my computer and I, it, it literally just felt like dictation, like, like coming fast and furious and with a very profound heart vibration, like, like my whole, um, physical emotional experience of myself changed in that instant where okay. i had felt dark and depressed and anxious and alone i felt completely filled with light and love and warmth and connection as well as the words that i heard we'll talk so about I call it divine, yeah. but I, I i'm happy to call it spirit or oneness <clears throat> or soul or whatever speaks to people okay i uh, will talk about the content a little later Sure, but the, but in, the, in terms of the process, is this something that you feel came from external sources, and you were just writing down whatever that was being said? Or I mean, it, this is sort of like esoteric area, so I want you to kind of break it down as much as you can for us, so we can actually visualize. Yeah, yeah, you know, it is a little bit hard to explain because, but the way I explained it to myself. Um, when it happened was it felt like it's continuous with me. It it felt like it came from above, if that's a, a way that I could describe it, but it felt continuous with me. And it felt like, and this is my best explanation for myself. It felt like m another part of my brain came online, not my usual left brain thought process, but some other part of my brain functioning that could receive information from another level of consciousness. And that's really how I would talk about it. It's another level of consciousness um, that is so wise and so loving and so inclusive um, that there was no mistaking it for thoughts that Phyllis Levitt would just have by herself. Okay. So it was not an external phenomena. It's more of a subconscious level 
something within yourself that are not usually tappable in a normal sense. Yeah, I guess I would say it that way. Something in, in you know, I think that, that human consciousness has been growing over whatever the span of our human history and incarnation has been. And I think this is another level of where consciousness can, can evolve into for human beings. So in a way, it's, it's like your soul speaking to, through you, I guess you could say. Yes, that's a perfect way to say it. Okay. So when you say they spoke volumes, and I wrote these down, these messages down, that is what you're referring to. Subconscious right. process that just came out. Something within you that you cannot usually normally on a conscious level tap. Right. And it always it always came in the form of we have this to say. So I called that voice they. Okay. It's kind of skipping ahead, but how do you harmonize that with psychology or as a psychotherapist? Is there a yeah. relationship or is there kind of a dichotomy there? Well, I would say this to you, that for most of the years that I did that writing and had a psychotherapy practice, I kept those two worlds completely separate. I told very few people that I was doing this you know, until the time that I, I wrote the two books that I wrote. But before then, it was almost no one that I told. Um, and it frightened me, you know, as beautiful and profound and life-giving as every bit of that connection was, it frightened me because it seemed so out of the norm. And I really thought people would think I was crazy. And a part of me thought I was crazy. Um, but because the messages were so life-changing and so loving in, in the most wise way, there was no denying that it was a benefit and that there was something real about it. And I have no question about that now. So for the most part, I kept those two worlds really separate. And it's only really recently that I, I get how they really come together, the world of psychotherapy and the world of this other consciousness is what I guess what I'll call it. And we will be right back after this important message. Hi, my beautiful people. I just wanted to let you know about a book that's helped me save a lot of money. The book is called How to Buy in Today's Digital World, Tips for Those Who Want to Save a Buck. This book provides step-by-step -step tips on how to save money on your online purchases. It also instructs you on making smart financial decisions when buying groceries, booking flights and hotels, plus lots more. I hope you get a chance to get your copy. I think you'll love it, and I know you'll save some money. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So, so I, I wrote about this in an article that I wrote recently. Um, I had, it, it comes out of two clients that I worked with. So, you know, I never talked about anything spiritual with any of my clients. If they brought it up, which most people didn't, um, that was fine. 
But um, I had two clients who did a massive amount of work on on themselves. One came out of uh, the most severe history of abuse that I have ever worked with. And the other was not. The other was a person who was just very, very left brain and rational and um, was having difficulties in his relationship. And both people, as a result of all the inner work that they did, made a profound connection to spirit inside themselves. I never brought it up. It wasn't part of my agenda. It was something that emerged absolutely organically from the work that they did. And, and it was life-changing for both of them. Absolutely life-changing. And it came in a different form than mine came. Um, you know, and I think it does. I think, you know, I have my form and each person has their unique connection to whatever is most profound for them. And it, it doesn't have to be the same, but I was thinking about them and I was thinking about, um, where does psychotherapy take us? You know, what's the goal of psychotherapy? And one of the ways that I would explain it is that, you know, people usually don't come to therapy unless they're in pain about something. Something isn't working. Relationship isn't working. Creativity isn't working. Their parenting isn't working or their work situation is abominable or whatever. Something isn't working in their life, or they just are suffering from depression and anxiety or addiction, and they don't know where that came from. So, you know, we come to therapy out of our pain. And what we do is explore the roots of that. We explore together in a very safe, non judgmental, no pressure, um, and very empathic and compassionate, but also insightful kind of way, whatever modality we use to uncover what are some of the things that we absorbed, you know, from the difficult experiences of our life, whether it's abuse or emotional neglect or being bullied at school or having a disability that framed, you know, how you saw yourself, whatever it is, we, we look together at what are the negative beliefs that a person took on about themselves and how they decided to cope. Because usually it's that combination of what we've come to believe our, about ourselves that's not so good, and the decisions we made about how to cope with it that are the clue to what's not working in the present life. I shut down, or I became aggressive, or I became a people pleaser, or I got into drugs really young, or I... Um, you know, you know, became, you know, a mega extroverted school when really I was, you know, felt like a fraud, whatever it is that people do. And sometimes it's a, you know, it's a combination of coping mechanisms that somehow have left them in a place in their present life. that's just not working. We did the best we could when we were kids, but a lot of times those mechanisms don't work as adults. And so that's what we're, we're taking apart. So if what I'm what I'm talking about is where does psychotherapy take us? It takes us to some undoing of the most negative beliefs we've taken on. You know, and I've heard the whole gamut in my practice. I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I'm powerless, I'm unlovable. Um and these are some of the core negative beliefs that people are left with even if they've also had some good experiences in their life. Mm -hmm. Um 
And so one of the goals of, of really good psychotherapy is to take that apart and, and, and through whatever process we use, whether it's um, a hypnotic process or EMDR or psychotherapeutic intervention, or, um, you know, there's just many different ways that I work guided visualization um, to take the power out of those negative beliefs, because they're not true. Nobody is born unlovable or worthless or powerless or stupid. We're, we're taught these things from our environment. And so we try to disempower the negative belief and empower positive beliefs about ourselves, okay? And positive beliefs always lead to better coping mechanisms. The more I you know, think well of myself, and I don't mean that in a narcissistic way, that like I'm Superman or something, um, the more I think well of myself, the more I have compassion for myself, the more I understand why I do what I do or the decisions I made with some kind of acceptance and compassion, the more likely I'm going to be to make different decisions about how I'm going to cope with stress and life and relationship and whatever else I'm about in my life. So those are, that's sort of like psychotherapy in a nutshell, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm I'm getting to your question, so um, I hope I'm I hope I'm following a track here that's followable. Um, <laughs> well, let me give you a chance to think. So you're classically trained psychologists, as in Freud and Jung, and yet the topics that you wrote about, and uh, particularly the third book, which we'll discuss also, um, it, you know, it's a little different. You know, it's it kind of borders into parapsychology almost. So I guess my question is, how do you harmonize what your thoughts uh, are compared yeah. to the classic professional field that you are expected to more or less process? Well, actually, I think the field has changed. I really wasn't changed as a psych. Uh, I wasn't trained as a psychoanalyst with the Freudian kind of um, id super ego context, and I think that's a little bit outdated in the present world of psychotherapy. I, I really was trained much more in a psychotherapeutic model that looks at the formative influences in a person's life, mainly from childhood or from their conditioning agents, and with a context of family systems, which is very different from the Freudian point of view. And that the basic difference is that we don't look at the individual as an island, like, you know, like why, why is that kid wetting the bed? What's wrong with them? And how do we teach them not to wet the bed? We look at the family dynamics that are around that child that may be causing anxiety or stress. And that way we can really understand the symptom from a larger perspective. And that the whole birth of family systems theory and family therapy is really what changed the whole world of psychotherapy. And it's really the basis of the book that I wrote. Okay. Um, and because... hold on, we're gonna not, we're not gonna cover that book yet. We're I gonna, know. We're, we're still in the early chapter. Yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said, yeah, you said earlier that you had to compartmentalize. Yeah. So at this point, are you able to harmonize or is it not possible to harmonize? So, so where, are you, where are you at? Yeah, I think where I'm at right at the moment, and I imagine this is also an evolutionary process because that's what I feel like all growth and development really is. It's not static, is um, 
that I'm going to go just go back to the tail end of what I was saying about psychotherapy to make that bridge. So basically, you know, in one way of talking about a goal of good psychotherapy is that a person ends up as a more adequate adult. They're not living from their wounded child reactions. They have a handle on where they're coming from. They can make some choices about how they behave. They have some more say over um, who they allow into their life and how they um, respond to conflict and stress or challenges rather than just sort of the automatic gut reaction that often comes from our most wounded, unhealed places. So, so in a nutshell, if we were to say that one of the strong points of the best psychotherapy is that it helps us heal the wounded places that aren't, that are fueling our worst coping mechanisms in the present. And then we become more of a choice in our life about how we deal. And I have never seen it happen ever. And I don't believe it does happen that as a person heals, whatever happened to them that has set them up not to be um, at their optimal self. I have never seen a person want more conflict, more hatred, or more violence in their life. I have always seen that healing bring them to a place of greater love and greater acceptance and greater desire to work out whatever is going on in their life that is difficult from a constructive, peaceful, nonviolent place. And I can say that without exception. I have ne I've never met one person who came to therapy wanting more hatred or violence in their life. We all want more love. We all want more acceptance. We all want more being valued being cooperated with, being cared for. Um, and so, so if you, if we were to say that one of the goals of good psychotherapy is to help a person grow up into their most constructive, creative, loving adult self with themselves and others, um, then the jump that I made, because that's the work that I also did myself, and I and it and it's a work in progress. You know, none of us are like there. We don't arrive at some kind of perfection. It's a work in progress. It's two steps forward, one step back sometimes, um, or I react and then I have to catch myself and make amends or say it differently um, or repair whatever has gone amiss with me and another person. Um, but that's part of it. That's part of what I say being like a healthy adult in this world. And so the leap that I made is that, oh, that's the foundation for allowing a different consciousness to come in. And I, I, I think that's where we're going as human beings, that the sturdier we are in our wise, loving self, in our ability to handle the stresses of our lives, the more we can be a, an appropriate vehicle for a greater consciousness. And that's where my work is taking me. And actually that's in the next book I'm gonna write. <laughs> so. Okay, great. Excellent, so let me back up a little bit. Between 1995 and 1998, um, you got all these messages within yes. and then you wrote them down. And, but, th but then you write, eventually overcome by a tremendous self-doubt, I put them away. What, what was the doubt? If you got such good, profound messages, what was the issue there? I don't know. 
Well, it was scary for one thing. I didn't know anybody else who was having this experience. So that was one thing. Um, and if you want all the gory details, I'll tell you. Please, all the background. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Okay. Give us all the National Enquirer perspective. Okay, here's the National <laughs> perspective. So very early on in getting these messages, I started to feel tremendous fear of, I and I literally would hear this voice in my head, who do you think you are? And, uh, and it was a scary voice. It was a condemning voice. And, um, and it was really like, like, who do you think you are to say that you're hearing something from a higher consciousness or a divine source? And immediately, and I hope I'm not too crazy here, so we um, want to establish that you're not schizophrenic, right? <laughs> I'm not schizophrenic. <laughs> I really don't think I, I, I don't think that I am. Um, I mean, I'm not. Um, but I immediately started to have profound sensations of being burned at the stake, and um, and uh, and and that's where this voice was coming from. Like you're going to be killed if you let anybody know that you're that you are connecting to something of a higher consciousness. You're, just, you're going to be killed. And it was very visceral for me, um, the fear. And so I asked about that, you know, and basically how this, this, this connection worked, I would just sit down at my computer and I would ask a question and immediately I would start to get answers. So I asked about this and I was shown the whole life as someone who was burned at the stake and I got, you know, tremendous details about um, how that life unfolded and what happened to me and who the players were. And so are we talking reincarnation here? Yeah, we're talking reincarnation. And, you know, and I don't care if anybody doesn't believe in it. it, it because, oh, no, that's OK. You don't have to yeah, be defended. I yeah, just wanted to clarify yeah. that as we're talking about. So yeah. carry on. Continue. Definitely. No. And but I mean, I'm, I mean that seriously, because I've done past life regressions with people and, you know, they're not, and they're, what I would say is, I don't care if you can prove that that life happened. I don't care if you can find the name of that person that lived in 1613. Um, I'm a I, full believer of Mike, Michael Newton's work. So trust me, I'm with well, you. Well, fantastic. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So you're talking, preaching to the choir here. So. Oh, well, fantastic. I love that. I love that. Um, but, but I guess what I want to say is that memory that was given to me, explained pieces of my life that were inexplicable from the experiences that I've had in this lifetime. So maybe you were Joan of Arc if you were burned at the stake. I, I don't think so. <laughs> but but I think I think I was just an ordinary person. But um but whatever but whatever it was, it really did. It was like pieces of my puzzle snapped together. And I made sense to myself in a way that I did not make sense to myself before. When I was a little girl, I the way our house was set up, um, there were two bedrooms on the second story and one flight of stairs going down. And I was in one of those bedrooms. And I literally would lie awake at night fearing that I was the house would burn down and I would die in a fire. There were no fires in my neighborhood. I never saw a fire, but it was a constant fear. And there were there were just things like that. Yeah, that um, was an imprint from your prior life that never left. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And it was like, oh, you know, and there I was this little girl, you know, who hadn't, I never told anybody that I even had that fear. But, um, but anyway, there are, there are bigger pieces, you know, that fit together. And um, let me go, let me follow. So where did this, who or where did this voice originate, originate that seemed to be condemning you? Do you have any, any idea? Yeah, I do. Um, because all of this was kind of illustrated for me by the source that speaks to me. And basically what they said is that on the astral plane, energies attend you from other lives. They're still there. Your own unintegrated pieces of your experience, which would be like the witch woman, and the this the soul energies or the the personality energies of the souls that attended you so it was astral energy if that makes sense of the people who had condemned me before i understand what you're talking about okay i right. understand i'm really glad <laughs> yeah 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 you don't need, yeah i i get it okay I, I was just wondering about that um and some of those people are here now in in the flesh you know, and so that's the other answer, the other part of the answer to your question. So I um, decided to, to start talking about what was happening for me and the messages that I was getting. And um, I was invited actually to speak at a, at a local non-denominational um, kind of spiritual religious Unitarian, Unitarians type? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Not quite, but something like that. Church and, of the Universal uh, Force. <laughs> yeah, right. Non-denominational, all loving, whatever, right? So I started sharing some of my the messages that I got at this gathering. And I some people loved me, you know, and they wanted to know more. But there were a few um who were actually in charge of this place who one of them literally said to me something like, who do you think you are? You know, what is this? And, and what a then, deja vu there, huh? Oh, meant to be, yeah. meant to be, right? Because we have to work through what we didn't work through yeah. at one time. Yeah. And then the last, I gave two or three talks there. And the last talk I gave um, was about what I had been that had been shared with me that I thought was so incredible. It was about whether or not we have divine, whether we have free will. And literally one of the people in charge of this organization got up and walked out while I was talking. And it really triggered. Um, it triggered, you know, those old places that were like, who do you think you are? And that was so activated that I, um, Put it away for quite a while. But as you said earlier, you have to address this. So you are addressing it now. Is that correct assessment? I'm addressing which now? The whatever issues that you put away in the past. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, I mean, you got to come back and do it again. You know how that goes. Right. I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, and it's, it's funny. It's like it's actually having started doing speaking on podcasts about the book that I'm writing, which is really about psychology. It's not about spirit that has brought this all together for me. And I feel, I feel so comfortable talking about it now for the most part, um, especially when I meet people like you who speak the language, you know, then, then it's really like thrilling. Yeah. Kindred spirit. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I've come to, I'm at an age where I don't really care if the other people don't understand it because yeah. it's on them. Truth, I know. So it doesn't bother me. You know, I'm not trying to convert anybody. Right. So, so individuals like uh, Michael Newton, oh my goodness, I've read his books. I make, It yeah. clicks. I mean, when, when something clicks, you realize it, 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 that's the truth, you know? That's right. This is the end of part one. We thank you for listening and invite you to tune in next time for part two. Meanwhile, join our growing family by subscribing our podcast.